Letter fifteen of Letters from Egypt by Lady Lucy Duff Gordon. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. To Mrs. Austin, Maser el Cahira, Cairo, May twenty first, eighteen sixty three. Dearest mother, I came here on Saturday night. Today is Wednesday, and I am already much better. I have attached an excellent donkey and his master, a delightful youth called Hassan, to my household for fifteen piastres, under two shillings a day. They live at the door, and Hassan cleans the stairs and goes errands during the heat of the day, and I ride out very early, at six or seven, and again at five. The air is delicious now. It is very hot for a few hours, but not stifling, and the breeze does not chill one as it does at Alexandria. I live all day and all night with open windows, and plenty of fresh warm air is the best of remedies. I can do no better than stay here till the heat becomes too great. I left little Zeyneb at Alexandria with Janet's maid Ellen, who quite loves her, and begged to keep her for company, and also to help in their removal to the new house. She clung about me and made me promise to come back to her, but was content to stop with Ellen, whose affection she of course returns. It was pleasant to see her so happy, and how she relished being put to bed with a kiss by Ellen or Sally. Her Turkish master, whom she pronounces to have been batal, bad, called her Salem Esidi, the peace of her master, but she said that in her own village she used to be Zeyneb, and so we call her. She has grown fatter, and, if possible, blacker. Mabuka, good fortune, the elder wife of Hagab, the confectioner, was much interested in her, as her fate had been the same. She was bought by an Italian who lived with her till his death, when she married Hageb. She is a pious Muslima, and invoked the intercession of Saidna Mohammed for me, when I told her I had no intention of baptizing Zainab by force, as had been done to her. The fault of my lodging here is the noise. We are on the road from the railway, and there is no quiet except in the few hot hours, when nothing is heard but the cool tinkle of the Saka's brass cup as he sells water in the street, or perchance Erxus, licorice water, or Karub or raisin sherbet. The Erxus is rather bitter and very good. I drink it a good deal, for drink one must, a gulla of water is soon gone. A gulla is a wide-mouthed, porous jar, and Nile water drunk out of it without the intervention of a glass is delicious. Omar goes to market every morning with a donkey. I went too, and was much amused, and cooks, and in the evening goes out with me if I want him. I told him I had recommended him highly, and hoped he would get good employment, but he declares that he will go with no one else so long as I come to Egypt, whatever the difference of wages may be. The bread I eat with you is sweet, a pretty little unconscious antithesis to Dante. I have been advising his brother, Haji Ali, to start a hotel at Thebes for invalids, and he has already set about getting a house there. There is one. Next winter there will be steamers twice a week, to Aswan, Juvenal's distant Syene, where he died in banishment. My old washerwoman sent me a fervent entreaty through Omar that I would dine with her one day, since I had made Cairo delightful with my presence. If one will only devour these people's food, they are enchanted. They like that much better than a present. So I will honor her house some day. Good old Hannah, she is divorced for being too fat and old, and replaced by a young Turk whose family sponge on Haji Ali and are condescending. If I could afford it, I would have a sketch of a beloved old mosque of mine, falling into decay, 
and with three palm-trees growing in the middle of it. Indeed, I would have a book full, for all is exquisite, and, alas, all is going. The old copt quarter is entame, and hideous, shabby French houses, like the one I live in, are being run up, and in this weather how much better would be the Arab courtyard, with its mastaba and fountain. There is a quarrel now in the street, how they talk and gesticulate, and everybody puts in a word. A boy has upset a cake-seller's tray, Naal Abuk, curse on your father, he claims six piastres damages, and every one gives an opinion pour au contre. We all look out of the window, my opposite neighbor, the pretty Armenian woman, leans out, and her diamond head ornaments and earrings glitter as she laughs like a child. The Christian dyer is also very active in the row, which, like all Arab rows, ends in nothing. It evaporates in fine theatrical gestures and lots of talk. Curious! In the street they are so noisy, but get the same men in a coffee-shop or anywhere, and they are the quietest of mankind. Only one man speaks at a time, the rest listen, and never interrupt. Twenty men don't make the noise of three Europeans. Hakekian Bay is my near neighbor, and he comes in and we fronder the government. His heart is sore with disinterested grief for the sufferings of the people. Don't they deserve to be decently governed, to be allowed a little happiness and prosperity? They are so docile, so contented, are they not a good people? Those were his words as he was recounting some new iniquity. Of course, half these acts are done under pretext of improving and civilizing, and the Europeans applaud and say, Oh, but nothing could be done without forced labor, and the poor fellaheen are marched off in gangs like convicts, and their families starve, and, who'd have thought it, the population keeps diminishing. No wonder the cry is, Let the English queen come and take us. You see, I don't see things quite as Ross does, but mine is another standpunkt, and my heart is with the Arabs. I care less about opening up the trade with the Sudan and all the new railways, and I should like to see person and property safe, which no one's is here. Europeans, of course, accepted. Ishmael Pasha got the Sultan to allow him to take ninety thousand fedins of uncultivated land for himself as private property. Very well, but the late Viceroy Said granted eight years ago certain uncultivated lands to a good many Turks, his employés, in hopes of founding a landed aristocracy and inducing them to spend their capital in cultivation. They did so, and now Ishmael Pasha takes their improved land and gives them fedin for fedin of his new land, which will take five years to bring into cultivation instead. He forces them to sign a voluntary deed of exchange, or they go off to Fazoglo, a hot Siberia whence none return. The Sultan also left a large sum of money for religious institutions and charities, Muslim, Jew, and Christian. None have received a fada. It is true the Sultan and his suite plundered the Pasha and the people here, but, from all I hear, the Sultan really wishes to do good. What is wanted here is hands to till the ground, and wages are very high. Food, of course, gets dearer, and the forced labor inflicts more suffering than before, and the population will decrease yet faster. This appears to me to be a state of things in which it is of no use to say that public works must be made at any cost. The wealth will perhaps be increased, if meanwhile the people are not exterminated. Then every new pasha builds a huge new palace, while those of his predecessors fall to ruin. Mehemet Ali's sons even cut down the trees of his beautiful botanical garden, and planted beans there, 
so money is constantly wasted more than if it were thrown into the Nile, for then the fellaheen would not have to spend their time, so much wanted for agriculture, in building hideous barrack-like so-called palaces. What chokes me is to hear English people talk of the stick being the only way to manage Arabs, as if any one could doubt that it is the easiest way to manage any people, where it can be used with impunity. Sunday. I went to a large, unfinished new Coptic church this morning. Omar went with me up to the women's gallery, and was discreetly going back when he saw me in the right place, but the Coptic women began to talk to him, and asked questions about me all the time I was looking down on the strange scene below. I believe they celebrate the ancient mysteries still. The clashing of cymbals, the chanting, a humming unlike any sound I ever heard, the strange yellow copes covered with stranger devices, it was wunderlich. At the end everyone went away, and I went down and took off my shoes to go and look at the church. While I was doing so, a side door opened and a procession entered. A priest dressed in the usual black robe and turban of all cops, carrying a trident-shaped sort of candlestick, another with cymbals, a lot of little boys, and two young ecclesiastics of some sort in the yellow satin copes, contrasting queerly with the familiar tarbouche of common life on their heads, these carried little babies and huge wax tapers, each a baby and a taper. They marched round and round three times, the cymbals going furiously and chanting a jig tune. The dear little tiny boys marched just in front of the priest with such a pretty little solemn, consequential air. Then they all stopped in front of the sanctuary, and the priest untied a sort of broad-colored tape, which was round each of the babies, reciting something in Coptic all the time, and finally touched their foreheads and hands with water. This is a ceremony subsequent to baptism, after I don't know how many days, but the priest ties and then unties the bands. Of what is this symbolical? Je me perde. Then an old man gave a little round cake of bread, with a Kabbalistic-looking pattern on it, both to Omar and to me, which was certainly baked for Isis. A lot of closely-veiled women stood on one side in the aisle, and among them the mothers of the babies received them from the men in yellow copes at the end of the ceremony. One of these young men was very handsome, and as he stood looking down and smiling on the baby he held, with the light of the torch sharpening the lines of his features, he would have made a lovely picture. The expression was sweeter than St. Vincent de Paul, because his smile told that he could have played with the baby as well as have prayed for it. In this country one gets to see how much more beautiful a perfectly natural expression is than any degree of the mystical expression of the best painters, and it is so refreshing that no one tries to look pious. The Muslims look serious, and often warlike, as he stands at prayer. The Christian just keeps his everyday face. When the Muslim gets into a state of devotional frenzy, he does not think of making a face, and it is quite tremendous. I don't think the Copt has any such ardors, but the scene this morning was all the more touching that no one was behaving him or herself at all. A little acolyte peeped into the sacramental cup and swigged off the drops left in it with the most innocent air, and no one rebuked him, and the quiet little children ran about in the sanctuary, up to seven they are privileged, and only they and the priests enter it. It is a pretty commentary on the words, Suffer the little children, etc. I am more and more annoyed at not being able to ask questions for myself, as I don't like to ask through a Muslim, and no cops speak any foreign language, or very, very few. 
Omar and Hassan had been at five this morning to the tomb of Satina Zainib, one of the daughters of the Prophet, to see her, Sunday is her day of reception, and say the Fatah at her tomb. Next Friday the great Bairam begins, and every Muslim eats a bead of meat at his richer neighbor's expense. It is the day on which the pilgrims go up the sacred mountain near Mecca, to hear the sermon which terminates the Hajj. Yesterday I went to call on pretty Mrs. Wilkinson. She is an Armenian of the Greek faith, and was gone to pray at the convent of Margirgas, St. George, to cure the pains a bad rheumatic fever has left in her hands. Evidently Margirgas is simply Amun-Ra, the god of the sun and a great serpent-slayer, who is still revered in Egypt by all sects, and Said el-Bedawi is certainly one form of Osiris. His festivals, held twice a year at Tanta, still display the symbol of the Creator of all things. All is thus here. The women wail the dead, as on the old sculptures. All the ceremonies are pagan, and would shock an Indian Mussulman as much as his objection to eat with a Christian shocks an Arab. This country is a palimpsest, in which the Bible is written over Herodotus, and the Koran over that. In the towns the Koran is most visible, in the country Herodotus. I fancy it is most marked and most curious among the Copts, whose churches are shaped like the ancient temples, but they are so much less accessible than the Arabs that I know less of their customs. Now I have filled such a long letter, I hardly know if it is worth sending, and whether you will be amused by my commonplaces of Eastern life. I kill a sheep next Friday, and Omar will cook a stupendous dish for the poor fellaheen who are lying about the railway station, waiting to be taken to work somewhere. That is to be my barem, and Omar hopes for a great benefit for me from the process. End of letter 15 Read by Sibella Denton All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org